You are listening to the Bristow Advent Christian Church Podcast. Visit us on the web at bristowacc.net. Thank you for listening. One of the first things I want to mention to you is that I asked Jonathan this morning if he would speak next Sunday, and he has graciously uh, agreed to do that. So uh, next Sunday when you come, you'll have a fresh face to look at. And uh, we're looking forward to that. I don't know if there are you guys able to get the uh, PowerPoint up. There you go. If you want to uh, kind of, we're going to be kind of focusing in John chapter 13. And so that's what I would encourage you to, to get there. And, you know, there are times whenever it seems like it's more difficult than others to do this. So it, uh, this is one of those Sundays when it's kind of difficult because I'm probably going to talk about some things that are, to me, kind of challenging. And uh, I don't know. Whatever said, if, if I offend you by what I say, please forgive me because that's not my intent. Okay? So we're in uh, John chapter 13. This is kind of an interesting section because this is the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Uh, in it we read about Judas finalizing his plans for Jesus' betrayal and arrest that night. And what happens is Jesus takes a towel and wraps it around his waist, picks up a wash basin, and goes to wash his disciples' feet. Now that action was normally the action of someone that was a slave or a servant. But that night there was no slave or servant present. So the question I ask you to, this morning to consider is, why did Jesus do it? But before we ask that question or try to answer it, I have one that's a little more difficult. There were 12 other guys there with him that night. How come none of them offered to do it? You know, the Bible doesn't really give an answer to that question. So let's start by examining Peter's response there in John chapter 13, verses 8 through 9. This is Jesus going along and he's washing the feet of the disciples and he comes to Peter and here's what Peter said. Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. You see, he tried to refuse Jesus and upon Jesus' response asked to be washed all over. I think the, big, the biggest thing I can draw from that is that Peter's pride was such that he didn't want to allow Jesus to wash his feet. You know, I think pride might very well be the answer why none of those other 11 were willing to take the towel and the wash basin. Peter certainly failed to understand the lesson that Jesus was teaching that night. And here's what makes me think it was pride. 
Luke gives a little bit different account of that. If you look in Luke chapter 22, verses 23 through 24, here's a little bit different account because it's still that, that same time. It's still the last supper that Jesus is having. And here's what it says. It says, They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And what they were questioning was who was going to betray Jesus because he said, one of the guys sitting here at the table with me is going to do that. But here's what I think you need to see in verse 24. Also, a dispute rose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They just heard the news that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And they kind of asked the simple question, who's going to do it? And then suddenly the focus turns inward and they say, but which of us is the greatest? Who's the greatest here? Well, I would suggest that not one of the twelve deserved to take on the role of a slave because he knew when he took that on, he was not going to be considered the greatest. He was going to be a slave or a servant. Pride is identified as one of the seven deadly sins. Pride seeks to lift up a person above everybody else so they can focus on who they are, what they have done, and how important they are. It's based on egotism and self-service. It seems always to start with this phrase, look what I, look what I. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter's words in John 13, 37 give us a clue. Because what's happened is, Jesus has just told Peter that he's going to betray him and he, just to act like he doesn't even know him. And he says, not only that, but you're going to do it three times tonight. How does Peter answer? In John 13, 37, the last part of it gives us a clue. He says, I, notice how it starts, will lay down my life for you. And yet that very same night, Jesus was be denied by Peter three times. Makes me nervous about people who start out their conversation with I. I'm very uneasy about it. Because when someone says, I will do this, sometimes you're not for sure. And when you really think about what happened here with Peter, he says, I will lay down my life for you. But he had a real issue keeping his word that night. So let's go back to the original question. Why did Jesus do it? Why did he wash their feet? The first thing I would suggest is that Jesus saw a need, and he met a need. No one else had, was going to do it. So Jesus picked up a towel, filled a wash basin, and did it. Jesus demonstrated a very important principle. If you see a need, then meet that need. 
I want you to think about something. When I read this the other day, I hadn't really given much thought to it. But you know, Judas hadn't left yet. Judas was there in that 12 whenever Jesus was washing their feet. And yet, Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. That he was going to betray him. He was going to come that night in the garden and he was going to give him a kiss on the cheek to identify him. He was going to actually set the stage for Jesus to be crucified. So why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus even wash those seed of, of Judas who he knew would betray him? I think it tells us something about ourselves. You see, sometimes we have a tendency to look at a situation, to look at a need, and say, that work is beneath me. I'm more important than that. I shouldn't have to do that. Or do we sometimes say, you know, that person is really not worthy of my effort. You ever think about that? When, you, when you're working with somebody or you're around somebody and you know they don't know Jesus, right? And you know that they're not going to hear it from somebody else, but you say, eh, I don't think it's really worth my time. But personally, personally, I was not worthy of Jesus' effort. I did not deserve to be forgiven for my sins. I did not deserve grace to be extended to me. I did not deserve mercy instead of justice. But over 2,000 years ago, Jesus took my sins to the cross at Calvary. He shed his precious blood for my forgiveness. I was an unworthy sinner. And he did that so I could be redeemed. And be called a child of the living God. I wasn't worthless to him. But I had value. I was not beneath him. But I had value to him. The second thing I believe here is that Paul reveals a very descriptive answer. And I'd, I'd urge you to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Because I think Paul identifies something here that we seriously need to look at. And Paul's, in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, this is what Paul writes. He starts out in the New International Version, he says, your attitude. Now think about that. He doesn't say, my attitude or someone else's. He says, your attitude, he's teaching here, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now think about what he's saying. Who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a Remember what Jesus did? That towel around the waist? Taking the very nature of a servant. Just like he did that night. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. 
You know, it had to be a humbling experience to take that, that wash basin around to those disciples, get down on his knees, wash their nasty feet, take that towel and dry their feet. But he humbled himself, even though, look who he said he was. And became obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Verse 7 tells us that Jesus took upon himself the very nature of a servant. He put on a towel and washed away the, sin, the, the dirt from his disciples' feet, but you know what else he did? He washed away the sins from my life. How do I react to somebody that washes away the sins of my life that separates me from God and that would have damned me to hell? He humbled himself. That means he destroyed pride. Remember, pride was that separating thing we were talking about? And although, as God's only son, he had every right to be proud. And verse 8 tells us he became obedient to death. Now, there's some who would probably argue with you and say, oh, he was captured that night by the mob and all that, and he couldn't do anything about it. But I want you to listen to what is said by Jesus in Matthew 26, 53. Because remember, Peter had struck the ear off of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And he said, do you think, I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Now for us, we probably can't really understand that. But what Jesus said is that all he had to do was just say, send me help. And 72,000 angels would have shown up that night. Do you understand that at that point in time, Jesus could have had judgment on this planet right then? But you know what he did? He was obedient to death. To a death on probably the cruelest and most vicious way to die Crucifixion on a cross. So why did Jesus do it? Well, there are several things I think you need to know. I have to be reminded of it frequently because it tells me something about myself when I look at it. Back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 through 23, it says, if a man is guilty of a capital offense, is put to death, and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to carry him that same day, because, and here's the thing, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You see... In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, the curse of death was placed on all mankind. I have, I had upon me the curse of death. I am of the lineage of Adam. I was a sinner. And the only thing I deserved was death. 
But Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Jesus took the curse that was on me and he bore the consequences of that curse by giving his life for me. So what should be my attitude? What should be my attitude? Paul's word tells us to become like Jesus. We're to be servants to others, even when it's inconvenient. I'm going to tell you, there will never be a time in your life when it's convenient to be a servant. It's always inconvenient. There's always something you can find that you would rather do than that. Even if it's just sleeping in. We are to humble ourselves, and that means we have to take the I out of our conversation and replace it with you. Because that's who we're supposed to be serving, is you, people on the other side. We're to be obedient even unto death. That means we have to put to death what we want and replace it with what the Lord wants us to do. It means stop making excuses. It's just a habit. I can't change it. You know, you're absolutely right. You can't change a habit, but Jesus can change a habit because he's in, the, he's in the business of making us new. That's the process of being born again. We're renewed, and those habits can be broken. I'm just not qualified. I don't know enough. And again, you are right without question there's not a single one of us qualified, and that includes me. But it's not me that's going to be able to do the job. It's going to be Jesus working through the Holy Spirit that's going to cause that to happen. Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Well, we're kind of at the point where we should be about out of excuses. I know some of you probably remember this. I bet you thought I'd forgotten it, didn't you? Well, Stacy, this is a tool bag, isn't it? That's what it is. But I want to show you a little bit about this tool bag. Notice it's empty now. And you notice there are only three tools in it. There's not a single one of them that would be really, really very good for driving nails. I guess you could. Drive a nail with a crescent wrench or a pair of slip joints. There's not a single one of them that would be very good for cutting wire. 
And you know, this is one of those standard screwdrivers. It's not a Phillips. It'd be pretty hard to drive a Phillips screw with it, wouldn't it? Hmm. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but I'm hoping that Stacy's going to put the next slide up because this is what our tool bag looks like now. We've got three tools in it. That's what our tool bag should look like. Why does our tool bag only have three tools in it? Do we have the attitude that Jesus says we're supposed to have? I have to tell you that I have heard this said and probably will be said again. But it says, well, if we only had a pastor. I hate to tell you, but if that's all the tools he's going to have to work with, he's going to have a heck of a hard time doing very much work. Okay? You want to be able to sit back, pay his salary, and let him do the job. You think I'm kidding you, don't you? Let me tell you, that is not biblical. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Our body is crippled. It has been crippled ever since before Dwayne came. Now, like I said, some of you may not like what I'm saying. That's okay. Okay? I will tell you, too, some of you were really unhappy while Dwayne was here. You had criticism of him. He's not here anymore. You'd think there'd be a change, wouldn't you? Do you know this church is on life support? And there's been three tools that have been doing CPR like crazy for the last five months? Do you know that? Do you know if something doesn't change, CPR is going to fail pretty soon? And this body is going to die. That's a hard truth, but it's a fact. This way we are operating is not sustainable. Bless Eva's heart last Sunday. She was standing out here on the porch, and I walked out to talk to her, and uh, she said, uh, you look really tired. I thought, well, you don't know. You don't know. I know some of you have your prayer bulletins there, and I know you've looked in the third column where it says help wanted. You know what? We've been running that ad for a long time. And it's kind of like the unemployment thing that's going on in this country right now. We've got a lot of unemployment going on, and there ain't a lot happening. So what are we supposed to learn? 
Well, Stacy's getting there. He's way ahead of me, but that's okay. If you see a need, then you need to meet a need. And if you don't see a need, you need to go to the optometrist and get your eyes checked and get your glasses on. Because there is a need in this church. We've identified some of them. You need to serve others because that's what Jesus said and it says that's the attitude we're supposed to have. You're going to have to humble yourself and it's going to be nasty getting down on the floor washing other people's feet. And you have to be obedient. That's what you've got to do. You know, uh, Samuel told King Saul something. King Saul had come back from fighting the Amalekites, and he was getting ready. To, he told Saul, he says, hey, Samuel, I'm, I'm getting ready to have this big sacrifice. And Samuel looked at him, and he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. 